On this episode of the Dudes and Dads podcast, we talk with Leonard Dow about diversity and inclusion. You're listening to the Dudes and Dads podcast, a show dedicated to helping men be better dudes and dads by building community through meaningful conversation and storytelling. And now, here are your hosts, Joel DeMott and Andy Lane. Oh my goodness, Andy, how you doing? It's Sunday. It's Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I'm uh, doing good. I'm so glad. Uh, hello, friends. Welcome to the Dudes and Dads pop, uh, pop quiz. I keep saying that. Dudes and Dads podcast. Glad to have oh. each and every one of you here. And whether you've ended up here on purpose or by sheer accident or some strange algorithmic variant, we're glad to have you. We are. We are. I'm super glad to have you. Uh, Andy, tell me uh, what's uh, what's going on in your world, man? Uh, it was a long weekend. We did a lot of stuff around the house. Oh, but a lot of good stuff. Okay, Andy, I want you. No, no, I want no, you no. to tell me. Just, t- just tell me. I just need. I need a little. I was about ready to say just a little hint of the favorite activity that you were. I'm going to say forced into. I'm going to say forced I had into. to clean out some of my sewer. Yeah, so that was not. <laughs> yes. It was not my. You have not become a real homeowner until you've had. <laughs> Uh, it's sewer. either directly or indirectly have some sort of sewer issue. <laughs> are, are things, are things looking up? They're getting there. Okay. I'm hey. cleaned back up though from, I'm, I'm clean. <laughs> Thank you so much for getting yourself together before you came in to the studio. Uh, yes. Well, that's, that's, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, let's see. Uh, what have I been up to Andy? Thank you for asking. Yeah. Uh, I'm such a bad co-host. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, well, uh, got a chance to, man, I've been uh, an itinerant preacher here recently, Nice, Andy. So, uh, got to, uh, yeah, got to share a message at, uh, shore church in beautiful Shipshawana, Indiana today. Let me just tell you, Andy, I'm a little bit salty about Shipshawana. Oh yeah. Uh, they have friends, wherever you're listening, you know about the dollar general phenomenon, right? Like these things are, these things are popping up everywhere. They're all over the place. But today, of all places, in Shipshawana, Indiana, they have, a, they have a Dollar General market. What? Market. Explain. It's e- I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to walk in sometime and check it out. But it's clearly, it's clearly snazzier oh. than the standard Dollar General. The outside looks a little bit, it's like a little bit brighter, a little bit fresher. Sure. Uh, so there's some sort of market thing going on at the Dollar General in in Shipshawana, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna report back. Sweet, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. <laughs> good, 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 good. Well, hey, Andy, uh, you know we are so grateful for the many people that uh, support us, but uh, specifically we want to say thanks to our friends at Everance Financial. Support for the show comes from Everance Financial, helping members invest in what lasts through financial services with impact. More at everance.com slash Michiana. Securities offered through Concourse Financial Group Securities Incorporated member FINRA SIPC. Awesome. Well, today, as I alluded to in the intro, we have Leonard Dow with us from Everance. Leonard, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Thank you. And Leonard is reporting from his son's dorm room, which uh, for our live, <laughs> our live viewers, we just wanted to clarify because it looks like Leonard has been banished to uh, to some to some <laughs> concrete jungle somewhere. Uh, but uh, which 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 wouldn't be too far off the truth. But in this case, <laughs> this is a show, this is a show for dad. So we've all been sent to the basement at some point. Right. Yes. 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 
Well, Leonard, you uh, you serve as the vice president of church and community development of development and president of Everance Community Investment for Everance Financial. Uh, and now you're you are stationed in Philadelphia, but where are you coming to us? Uh, where are you where are you at right now? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, so right now I'm in Providence, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, my son is uh, entering his freshman year at Johnson and Wells uh, University, and so my wife. And I drove up about five hours from Philly to, uh, you know, you got to get you got to get the sun in and the white and he's our youngest. So, you know, this is a tearful goodbye for my wife. This is our last one out of the house. So um, thoroughly enjoying it. Thoroughly enjoying. You've successfully launched uh, your your people, Leonard, which I have to imagine (laughs) is a rewarding feeling. They've they've made it out. They're not still. uh, I mean, while it appears (laughs) that you're living in a basement, they are not. (laughs) (laughs) They are out. They are out picking up whatever they got to pick up uh, before we uh, head on back to Philly tomorrow morning. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Leonard, as we always like to do, just to start off to get to know our our guests more, and then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we'll tiptoe our way in. We'll get into the deep end of the pool soon enough, right, Andrew? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, But. Just tell us about yourself, about, uh, I guess, first of all, we'd love to do the dad stats, as we like to say. So tell us about your family. Um, all we the, already know he has a youngest kid that's we, in college. We do. So we've started there. But yeah, tell us about the family, uh, what, whatever you want to share with us. Yeah. We just want to get to know you better on that side. Hey, I'll be honest. This will be the highlight of, of my uh, contribution to the podcast, my family. <laughs> so uh, we're blessed with uh, three children. My oldest, uh, Carmela. She is... Um, um, living in Philadelphia, an area of the city called West Philly. Um, born she works and for a born and raised. <laughs> no, she, <laughs> it was Mount Airy, but she oh, now yeah. she's now in West Philly. Yeah. Um, and she works for a trend company out of London um, and uh, does a lot of trend research around um, fashion and design. Um, and then our middle one, uh, Marcella, she's up in New York City or where I'm at now, down in New York City at Columbia University. Um, getting her master's in speech pathology. And then my son, as I mentioned, he's a freshman here at Johnson and Wales, um, going to be studying something with animals. Um, not quite sure what, uh, I wasn't in on that decision, but, um, <laughs> I, I was, I was in on the, the, the debit that came out of the account for the fall semester. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and then my lovely wife, uh, Rosalie, she, uh, Rosalie Rolondow, actually Dr. Rosalie Rolondow, she teaches at University of Delaware in um, in the um, education department. She now uh, is in more so on the admin side, working with uh, student scholars. Awesome. Um, the last couple of years. So, yeah, so I've married up, man. I, I you know, <laughs> I've been blessed and we've been married. Um, it'll be 30, 33 years. I, I hope I'm right because this is recorded, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, That's it on the record. You bet. <laughs> You'll you'll join the many guests, including Andy and myself, who, who have who have paused and or second guessed ourselves. See, listen, I have the marriage thing down, but it's always the kids' ages that I yes. mess up. I'm always yeah, like, yeah. how oh, old don't are even. kids? Yeah, don't even, don't mm-hmm. don't do it, don't do that to me, don't do that to me. So uh, yeah, so we, and we live in Philly, live in Philadelphia, um, where where I grew up my whole life. Um, you know, there was parts of time where I was in college, and other times a year or two, but always. Uh, boomerang home which has been a wonderful challenge as my wife now loves philly but she grew up in puerto rico okay so um so 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 my goal is the 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 bucket list is to retire whenever that comes back home 
in Albonito, Puerto Rico, or close to it um, in the later years. I like your life goals, man. That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) But for the record, I'm not, I'm not planning on doing that anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we, uh, our family, so I am, though Andy has long, long term ties back to Philadelphia where he's spent uh, some significant time. My family's first yeah. introduction to Philly was, uh, it's been a year and a half ago. We did, uh, not this past spring, but the spring before we did our, our family spring break in Philadelphia. Well, and let me tell you this Joel texted me and said, Where can I get a cheesesteak? And so I told him where he could go to <laughs> yes. get a cheesesteak. So yeah. that was the important thing. We had thing. the real, because here's the deal. I, I as a newbie, as, as an outsider, yeah. I didn't want to go to some some lame cheesesteak place. You know, I, although people are like, Hey, if it's cheesesteak in Philly, you're probably doing okay. Yeah. I needed the inside track, though. And uh, Andy took us to. Well, now, come on now. I got to know. I got to know where Andy sent you. Where did I send you? Did I send you to Ishka Bibbles? Or you, you sent us to Ishka Bibbles. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. You went high end. You went yeah, a little bit they, high end. They were down, I figured I'd take them down to South Street a little bit. So. <laughs> we, yeah, you're right. We had to fight traffic like like what, like crazy. My vehicle barely fit through the street, but it was worth it. I'll be honest. <laughs> that's, that's South Philly. Next time, next time you're in Philly, try a place called D'Alessandro. That's okay. in East Falls. Okay. Uh, it's another, another, another spot that's off the radar for most non-Philadelphians. Well, and see, like for my, for my, like to save face for me, like I was only in Philadelphia for a year and that was a long time ago. So it was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, that's a good spot. Yeah, we didn't, that's a good we, spot. He didn't steer us wrong. It was, it was good, but we, uh, we got to check another base. We got a Phillies game in. It was their, it was their oh. opener. It was their season at home opener. And we got to see. The Philly fanatic parachute into the stadium. We got to see uh, my children got to see their first uh, fan brawl out in out in right field. Oh, nice. wow. We were on the other we were on the other side, but we had a clear view. <laughs> and the cameramen do not hesitate; they're able to zoom right in and get the get you live up front. Uh, and then just to see a home opener experience, it, it was one I will say it was one of the best baseball games that we've we've ever seen. So uh, I will say though, um, I just the Philadelphia fans. Are there? Uh, there are something else. There. Yeah. Is. Yeah. We we are unfortunately a little bit too intense. I, <laughs> it, it felt it felt intense. It did. It did. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people need to remind uh, Phillies fans that there's like a hundred and what sixty games. Like you don't have to jump <laughs> off the bridge every <laughs> after every loss. But that's how we roll. Yeah, that's how we roll. So we're passionate. <laughs> that, that is true. So can you tell me a little bit about what interested you sure. in your current professional role at Everance? Yeah. So as, as Andy would know, cause Andy has known my background a little bit. I grew up, as I mentioned in Philadelphia, I grew up in an area of the city called uh, North Philly, um, which um, was a relatively thriving African-American community uh, up into the mid early sixties. And then um, especially the early seventies um, right around when I was, I don't know, six or eight, um, our community experienced a lot of stress. <clears throat> um, many of the manufacturing jobs left our community. Um, uh, crack cocaine came into our community. Um, and the stress of that just really uh, crippled our community in such a way where before most of the folks in our community, including my father, worked within walking distance um, at one of the factories, um, didn't need a lot of education and it's not just Philadelphia I'm you know this story could be said <laughs> throughout sure. our country manufacturing um but uh in our particular community it just uh within a decade it went from um a relatively safe uh economic stable homeowners uh for the most part 
um, to uh, just what comes with um, with uh, illegal activity, drugs and and stress and and all those things, um, schools um, uh, underfunded, et cetera. And so you have a couple of chances, uh, a couple of opportunities. You you stay and, and quote, like a salmon, try to force <laughs> against the system that you're facing. Um, you can stay, so you can stay or, or, or for many people, you can flee. And most of the community I grew up with, the friends I grew up with, they stayed and, and unfortunately have just a variety of challenging um, stories thereafter. My parents, we were in a position uh, because of uh, some brothers at the church that we were going to at the time that we moved. Um, and so we moved um, out of North Philly into a, a different area of the city. And, um, and because of that, um, there's a level of, um, without overstating it, of survivor's guilt. Um, and I don't mean that in a shame way of guilt, but uh, recognizing that many of the friends I hung out with are were incarcerated um, and or um, saw an untimely um, death or some other challenging um, narrative that their story could have been so different. Mm -hmm. And yet um, I feel as though I've had so many gifted opportunities. Um, and so part of me says, you know, uh, as my parents always told me um, up until they passed away, don't forget where you come from. Um, I came from North Philly. And so our community that was under stress, under siege. And so my life story has been one of trying to um, not necessarily only North Philly, but communities that are representative of under-resourced, underrepresented um, communities. How can I make an impact? And that's been um, for the most part of my life in the financial sector in banking, now in financial services with Everance, and even when I was a pastor for 20 years, because I started when I was five, um, <laughs> um, you know, we worked a lot around community engagement, community development, um, specifically not just in um, soup kitchen and stuff like that, which is helpful, right? People need to eat, mm -hmm. but also around how do we bring about um, uh, economic uh, stability and strength in a community through a faith-based um, um, in this case, Christian perspective. So, yeah, I forgot the question because uh, I'm from North, uh, you know, I'm from Philly. And, and as I told we talk downhill, man. You, you know, it's like double Dutch. You know, you guys know what double Dutch is? Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. double Dutch jumping. And for those on the podcast that don't know, look it up, double Dutch. You know, you got to jump in or, or I'll just keep going. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. That's great. <laughs> So you also, I see you also serve, uh, you know, as we like to at least uh, sort of uh, stalk our guests uh, ahead of time and, and see what they're into. Uh, yeah. So you serve on some, you serve on some boards and things like that. Again, kind of yeah. extending that community engagement. What, tell us about those. Tell us about the boards you serve on, why you care about them, what you do. Yeah. Um, I'd be yeah. interested in that too. Sure. You wouldn't mind. I, the one part of the question that you did ask me is about my role at Everest. Yes. And yeah. I didn't say anything about that. <laughs> But then I'll come around and sure. talk about the boards. So in my role, uh, Vice President of Church and Community Development, that really allows me to work with our pool of professionals called stewardship consultants that engage uh, local congregations. Um, we at Everett serve, um, up, I would say, up to 35, 36 different denominations in the congregations within those denominations. And we have a, a, a pool of professionals uh, that we refer to as stewardship consultants that 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 uh, help congregations 
uh, wherever they are in their stewardship journey. Um, and so I provide some resourcing for them. And then in my role with president of uh, Everance Community Investment, this ties into my work in Philadelphia where Everance, uh, we opened up our, uh, our first urban location there in Philadelphia, an area of the city called Kensington, um, along with building our capacity and other financial services. But ECI is our attempt at having a particular specific funds set, set aside um, for LMI, low moderate income communities, because, because of a variety of reasons that we don't have one podcast to talk about, but I think I'll touch on it later through some of the questions. In historically underserved, under-resourced communities, access to credit outside of predatory credit options is desperately needed. Mm. Um, and so we're working at trying to figure out how we can do that in a sustainable way. Um, and we're on about a two, two and a half year uh, journey uh, in that role. And ECI, Everest Community Investment, is that lending pool that we work in tandem with our credit union and providing a variety of, of LMI, uh, what we call impact uh, loans or impact lending uh, tools. This does t- dovetail quite directly into some of the boards I'm on, the Brooklyn Peace Center, uh, which is up in New York City. Um, um, <laughs> see, I shouldn't have went down there trying to remember <laughs> stuff. Uh, the City School, which is a faith-based um, uh, Christian school in the city of Philadelphia, um, providing options. Um, I'm a firm believer in public school education, as well as private school edu- education, as well as Catholic school education. In an urban setting, people need options. Mm-hmm. Um, Good options, and 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 so I'm part of that. And then uh, the common the commonplace uh, is a is a is a small nonprofit starting similar to what I did over in my time at Oxford Circle Mennonite Church, starting a nonprofit that um, allows them to find out what is already activated and active in a community, but then bringing along uh, some things around uh, faith focused, uh, such as a daycare, such as um, 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 after school programming, things like that. And so I'm on the board of those three. And if I'm on another board that I forgot about, uh, <laughs> sometimes I can get in trouble and overextending myself. <laughs> no, I, think, I think you've, I think you've named the ones yeah. that I, that I saw that was, I was just interested in. And so I, yeah. you know, and so I really, I mean, I hear, I hear from you that, um, there's kind of a, for you personally, and I'm and I'm wondering if if you, uh, it seems to me that your kind of your personal mission, what you do, it probably reflects your your vision for this. That there really is a a multi layered kind of multi pronged approach to because we were t- we we're talking about urban renewal, we're talking about um mm-hmm. you know in, investing in communities. You know, someone who uh, has grown up here in the in the Midwest and is you know I I was mm-hmm. born in born in Michigan. We live here close to, uh, to South Bend, Indiana, where it was a similar story. I mean, you've kind of said Studebaker, uh, the, the, the industry that was Mm. here into the sixties and then that all went away. And then the, the town really turned, uh, you know, really turned in a a completely direction without, uh, without reliable work. Um, you know, uh, I'm a Michigan, a Michigander originally. So the story of Detroit, which is, you know, Detroit's making a comeback. My parents lived in uh, they lived in Lima, Ohio for a while, and there there's another you know kind of a Rust Belt extended city of a lot of industry mm. left left that area. I I wonder you know from your from your perspective, I, I'm sure you've seen because um, because when I drive through those places and when I've seen those places, I think yeah. to myself just as a normal like citizen as a normal you know whatever I go, how yeah. in the world will we ever 
get back mm-hmm. to maybe not the good old days, but how will we see maybe a new future for these places? How will is is it even possible or or maybe and the thing is, is that I don't even know about I, I do know because I follow some of the things that have happened in Detroit um, specifically when they're they're trying to get back on online and, and improve some things. What have you seen that's that's working in these in these communities? Because, man, if you just walk through some of them and you kind of see the de-urbanization and you see yep. blight and all of those all of those sort of things, it just it can feel kind of like a monumental task, I think, I think. Sure. No, no. I mean, um, everything you said, uh, I've either engaged in conversations or being a pastor in an urban setting, um, even now with our uh, location in a challenging community, parts of the community, not all, but parts of the community of Kensington um, due to the opioid um, crisis um, being played out there in, in, in parts of that area of, of Kensington. Um, in fact, what you said reminded me of a conversation. Uh, I was about a year um, into my role here at Everence, and I was in um, one of those mid Midwestern states. Uh, you know, once you get me west of Pittsburgh, I you know I put them all in one big one big. No, I don't. But I think I was in Iowa to be honest. I think it was Iowa. But the gentleman, um, he wasn't as um, as as well versed in language as you are. I, I don't think or. Um, or as, as culturally sensitive, he basically just came up to me and said, Hey, Leonard, I know you, I, I, I kept up on you. I love what you were doing at Oxford circle. So glad you're at Everence. But he said, you know what? I was in Chicago in whatever years he was there in Chicago. He was maybe in the seventies. And, and now when I go back and I see that community, I need to understand why he he pointed it more directly um, at race. He said, Leonard, why can't you, why can't you, as if I lived in Chicago, but why can't you or your people have good communities or quality communities? Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, he yeah. just, I mean, it went, it, it went from him patting on my back to him kicking my butt. Yeah, like yeah. it was so quick. Yeah. <laughs> it was so quick. And, and embarrassingly, because Again, you don't know me well, but you know that I can put a lot of words together in my brief conversation. He caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a, I didn't have an answer, and I had a little bit of had a lot of shame that initially came on as if I'm carrying like you know you know as in my Christian faith, Jesus died on the cross. Here I'm trying to carry, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, trying to right. carry it. Yeah, and what? But what? What? And he happened to be a white brother. And what he was trying to get at is what you were stating in a, you know, in a very, a very appropriate question in a very broad sense. And I said, you know what, I need to figure that out, at least to the level that I can have some comfort and engage in conversations like this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would say before we start trying to figure out um, what we're going to do, how we're going to fix it, I think there's got to be greater analysis on how we got there. Mm-hmm. You know, the community that I grew up in North Philly, uh, there in Detroit and in other places, you know, that you mentioned, my brother, there's not an analysis of how we got there. So when we look at urban communities, we have to understand in the predominantly black and brown parts of the urban communities that are really stressed, depending on what part of, uh, you know, what city you're talking about. We have to kind of do a quick study of how did we get there? Because there's been some intentional ways that the communities that are stressed and are struggling are doing that because that's how they were designed to do, mm-hmm. from my perspective. Mm-hmm. 
So when we look at our history of, of redlining, and we understand that redlining was uh, part of uh, our, 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 our nation's infusion of cash, of investment um, after the Great Depression, um, as a way to strengthen that, uh, the New Deal came about and mortgages came about and, and middle class, actually it worked to some extent, even those who say that was a terrible idea, many benefited from being able to build these mortgages and build their wealth. But part of the dark side of that or the shadow side of that, in order to do that, they created a, um, a, a, a alphabet soup of A, B, C, D, where red was on the bottom and said these communities are non-desirable and investment should not happen in these communities. And as a result, they were redlined, literally, as, as both of you are probably aware. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look on a red line map of 1920 or 1930, and you look at the communities that are struggling today, there's a direct correlation. Mm-hmm. They're still under-resourced. They're still are the places where uh, underfunded school, there's still food deserts, et cetera. So there's pockets within that redlining, like the block or two that I grew up on in North Philly before the manufacturing jobs moved out. And then you look at World War II and you look at uh, the GI Bill. Again, major cash infusion for those uh, who served. Um, but people like my father who served in the Korean War, um, could not get access to those same funds for a mortgage mm-hmm. for um, a uh, undergrad degree um, as well. And there's a variety of reasons why. So I know for some in our current context, looking back is only allowed if we can look back on those things we want to celebrate. I recognize that. But we also have to recognize what we're in in some of our communities. They're actually designed and it for that to be the type of community that it is. Now, once you go back and take a look, you then need to begin asking questions around, okay, how do we strengthen what is here? How do we sit and engage with those who are suffering, who are struggling, and how do we look at investment for the long haul? It took us so many years to get here. It's gonna take us a few decades uh, for some of these communities to move out. And I can get more specific if you want, but I think I've talked way too long on that one question (laughs) that's good yeah that's good and and leonard i i'm gonna uh i guess we'll use the term devil's advocate i'm never i'm never sure right right yeah 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 but you know i because when you use uh, there's a big pushback in in certain spheres and we would we would know this within our within our church communities as well there's a big pushback Anytime we're talking about anything that's systemic, right? Like a, a claim of any yeah. systemic, ongoing systemic thing. Yeah. Because uh, they'll yeah. say, they'll say, well, okay, we're not, we're not redlining now. There's no, there are no policies of, of redlining. You know, like I've, I've heard that. I've heard people, I've heard people sure. say that. Sure. And maybe the, uh, what I would just like to hear from you on is to say, because yeah. there, cause there is a, there's a general sense of we don't have these exact policies in place anymore. So there's no excuses for XYZ community or XYZ people group to still be in the situation that they are when um, Mm -hmm. they have new, new opportunities now. Now it's, you know, it's a new, it's a new day. We're in the 21st century. There's, there's new opportunities, new social awarenesses. So everybody just needs to quit whining and, uh, (laughs) and, you know, and just step up to the plate and, and live their best life. What, 
Uh, and again, I, that's a broad brush stroke and probably <laughs> probably someone who is listening is like, you did not nuance it pro- appropriately. But I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully I, you uh, hear oh. me when I'm saying what I'm getting at. Oh, I hear. What, oh, I hear. What, I hear. Now, here's the deal. I think we can respond to that question in a number of ways, some that are not helpful and that just kind of continue the antagonism, so to speak, in that conversation. Yeah. And then there are others that I think faithfully help bring people along to under to understand, which my sense is, is that's that's the conversation that you want to have. That's where you come from. Yep. Um, yep. But what would the what would the response be uh, sure. to this devil advocacy that I've I've thrown out here? No, I uh, appreciate. I don't know the devil advocacy part, but I I appreciate the pushback. That's the language I use. Mm-hmm. The yep. pushback. Yep. <laughs> I'm a pushback. I'm 59 years old. In my lifetime, the um, the civil rights bill, voter voter rights. And um, we get the third one uh, happened during the 60s. So in my lifetime, so 59 years, up until that point, all the things that we were just talking about was legal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in one lifetime, we now have laws that does say redlining is illegal. But in my lifetime, it is very difficult to build wealth that some people groups have had generations to build. Mm-hmm. We need time. Yeah. Now there are some of us, myself included, who have had opportunities and we've taken advantage of those opportunities, you know, um, but overall, when we look at the poverty rates and we look at um, the, the wealth gap and all those type of things, there's only been one generation that has not been legal to use race as a barometer for me, for my access to what other people groups in the majority culture have had for four five, six, seven generations. I was out in Kansas, um, again, with my work in Everence and was talking about the Homestead Act, which occurred immediately after um, Emancipation Proclamation, and just talking about how the Homestead Act was offered um, for those who wanted to go west um, to stake land and not only just, uh, not just land, but they then got, um, the rights to the land, but they also got education and all those things associated with it so that they could build and, 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 and work the land. At the same time, post emancipation proclamation, um, African-American population was given a bank, <laughs> which is the most tremendous irony when you don't have resources mm-hmm. because at one point mm-hmm. you're a property. Now you're being told to, um, produce, pull yourselves up by your own bootstrap. We were given a bank. We were not allowed access to the Homestead Act, nor um, some of the other uh, cash infusions from from the government. So what I'm trying to have people understand is is create awareness as to how our communities have gotten to where they are. And when we have had successful communities, Places such as Tulsa, Tulsa yeah. Um, yeah. places uh, in Florida. Um, we have the Red Summer in which whole communities that were thriving, despite all the challenges that I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were destroyed. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm not here to um, pull on anyone's heartstrings. Uh, no, um, I'm here to make people aware so that when they start engaging around what can we do, they understand that some of the roots of, and the challenges are deep. So the conversation has to be deep. Mm-hmm. Our prayers have to be deep. 
and our resolve has to be deep. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be a good, a feel good, um, you know, emotional high. It, it's, you know, the journey, you know, within the Anabaptist tradition, um, you know, there's a song, the journey, the journey is long. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so, you know, in my lifetime, I recognize some of the things I want to see happen in communities that I grew up with, uh, having a restart, a rebirth, um, you know, may not happen, but I still have to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do it joyfully. I, I would say I do it singing, but uh, <laughs> this brother can't sing. This brother, this brother cannot, cannot sing. Cannot well, sing. And, and you know, and, uh, uh, Gosh, within our Anabaptist communities, uh, that that can be uh, that can be a challenge. You can be outed quickly. I know. Uh, <laughs> can be outed quickly. I was no. I, so the congregation, I, congregation, I was preaching today. They uh, mostly more more contemporary songs, but they 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 put a uh, they put a hymn in there. And I gotta say, boy oh boy, threw me for a, threw me for a loop. I was I was un I was unprepared, and my my poor voice was even more magnified uh, when that happened. <laughs> Everybody goes like, go, everybody goes, they go to four part harmony. And I'm like, oh, I cannot keep up. Oh, here we go. <laughs> That's when you just raise your hands. Yeah, just, close, right? just, just have, a moment. have a moment with the Lord. Oh. Can I just put, I just, let me just yeah. put one more yeah. Yeah. caveat in there. I mean, one observation um, that could also be helpful is I think within our, our worldview at times, we fall, we fall into this false narrative. Uh, um, and it's in the book, The Sum of Us. Of, of a zero sum game where, where our, 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 our historical narrative has, has placed us in this uncomfortable position at times to believe the lie. I think it's a lie mm-hmm. that in order for one uh, particular group to thrive, another group yeah. has mm-hmm. to yep. suffer, mm-hmm. you know? So, 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 so when I look back at the GI bill, when I look back at the uh, new deal, when I look back at the Homestead act, and our inability to get access, I say those were situations that if, if there was a, a, a broader understanding, uh, at least as it relates to the African-American um, perspective of saying, we can all thrive. There is enough, right? From yes. a, from a okay. faith-based, yep. you know, um, scarcity versus abundance, right? Um, in no way am I asking uh, for more. We're just asking for, you know, you know, equitable access yes um and so i think a a a point forward would be how can we move away from this false narrative that says you know what if my community wherever you are you know um in order for us to thrive that means that side of that city or that side of my community can't have Mm -hmm. because it not only affects them the other whoever the other is but it affects you I mean, you think about innovation, for instance, you know, perhaps, perhaps a person who could have, who had the cure for cancer was someone in, in, in a housing project who had an IQ, but did not get quality education resources. So they never got access mm-hmm. to the universities that could have created something that could have been a, a, a healing ointment, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think about our public our public pool system that used to be the envy of the world up until 1950. But when desegregation came, there was this notion that said, well, if we have to share with them, we'll just, we'll just 
put dirt in it and close it. Mm -hmm. That's a zero sum mindset. And I think for some of us, we still carry that notion that says, well, if, if, if the black and brown communities achieve, that means it's going to be something taken from, from no, Mm -mm. no. In, in, in my history, in my example of history over the African-American population that I represent, we haven't, we haven't wanted to take anything. We just want to be part, you know, we, you know, you know, the, the understanding of, of, of DEI is, you know, diversity is diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, diversity is being invited to the dance. You know, this is my analogy. Sure. This is not, you're not sure. going to get this at a PhD level, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, diversity is being invited to the dance. You know, you know, ec- equity is, is being invited to dance at the dance. Inclusion is participating in the planning, mm-hmm. you know, is, is saying, hey, can we have a say what songs we're going to play? Mm-hmm. Can we, mm-hmm. you know, can we talk about the venue, you know, together about that possibility? But it's not this taken away. And I think, um, you know, that's part of the, as people of faith, my understanding, that's where, uh, the, you know, of all the things that, uh, the Bible talks about, as far as us being ministers of, is not the minister, is not to be in a ministry of music, though that's important. The ministry of preaching, though that's important. The ministry of even community, um, loving your neighbor, but the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. Yep. That, that's, <laughs> that's the one yeah. that, that's the one that we're still called to be. And the one that we're most uh, at times seemingly um, afraid to engage in. You know, Leonard, as you mentioned, and I, it's a, within the communities that, that I have, I have seen some of the places that I, that I have been in, and this is, you know, and I'll just, and I'll say, this is not a, a new thing to, to our listeners, you know, coming predominantly from you know evangel you know white evangelical Mm -hmm, circles mm -hmm. uh you know i do live in north central indiana (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) don't don't mess up brother don't mess up yeah well you know here we go uh here we go (laughs) here we go no i stop him andy stop him (laughs) yeah this uh the conversation around because you've you've touched on it i think it's a great segue the conversation around diversity equity inclusion now this is a uh, for some people in the circles within which I interact. This is code language for yeah. un- undesire undesirable uh, activities, right? Um, sure, sure. And and I think and I think what for some for some who who are not saying, listen, I man, keep keep those people there. We'll keep we'll stay here. Like I, who are not coming from that perspective, we're not coming from a the zero. Yeah, they're not coming from the zero sum. Yeah, they're coming from a zero sum. Um. There, there is still a, there is a concern or a, or a worry around. Um, I think okay when when we talk about diversity, well, to what end? Mm-hmm. To what end? What is what is the goal when we talk sure. about um, mm-hmm. equity? To to what end? What is what is the what would we say? Because um, these are all like diversity, equity, inclusion, all three words that like yeah should we be diverse? Yes, right. absolutely. Should there, should there be equity? Yes. Should we be including people? Yes. Like no one argues those things, but when the rubber meets the road and we get deeper into it, depending on who's interpreting those things and right. applying those things, um, you know, in the workplace, in the, in, in civic life, whatever, that's where, like, yeah. that's where the fighting begins. Those are, those can become fighting yes. words and, and those, those sort of things. 
and I, I, lo- I so love how you've kind of you've outlined you in the, the great dance metaphor, which I've, I've heard recently and has been honestly, honestly helpful to me uh, because the moment so in some circles that I'm in the moment, I, the moment diversity, you know, uh, comes out of my lips. Yeah. Oh my, get, get ready. We're, we're a peaceful people until then. Um, you know, until then, yeah. yeah. Until, then. Help, help until me, then, help me understand Leonard. I mean, from your perspective and the work yeah. that you've done, when I ask those questions, yep. diversity, equity, inclusion, to yeah. what end? How do we know if we're doing this in a way that's not a zero sum? Because I, I think it absolutely ties back to what you said. There is a fear that one of us is going to get the short end of the stick, and I, I'll be doggone if it's going to be me. So, well, you know, <laughs> so let's let's start the fight. What, what's your hope for those things? So I, yeah, I mean, so. I would put it in, I don't know if they're three, they're not three silos. I think they interact, but I'll just talk about it at least in three, three vignettes. Maybe that's the best mm-hmm. word, you know? So first is from my, uh, as a person of faith in Jesus Christ, there's this understanding of diversity early on. You know, if we understand the Genesis story that we're all created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like it sounds like a, a, a rather like duh, but I think at times we forget that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and if we all are created in the image of God, there therefore then within all our cultural diversity within wherever it wherever it is wherever we're at is a gift, right? It's not a it's, it's yeah. not a you know if, we, if we're all created in the image of God and we're all. In a, in, a, in a monolithic gathering, then the kingdom of God isn't present. The full kingdom of God mm-hmm. isn't present. And that's a hard narrative for us to, we like to think of it as a kumbaya, but it's very difficult for us to think about it in the context of how we worship, where we work, where we live. But as a Christian, I, I, I affirm that and I hold on to that when, when, yeah, so I see value in that. And when I pastored, I was blessed to have that um, divert. Does it present challenges? Yes. But brother, any, anybody that's been in ministry, it could be a monolithic right. group and church is a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not like diversity is, is a challenge that, you know, just, you know, you put a family, to, you put two families together and you got issues. Yes. Yep. You know, so, so that's one. So, so as people, with faith, and then you look at the biblical narrative from Genesis one, you know, I mean, it, you know, and then you go to Luke four, Jesus said, you know, the spirit of God is on me to preach good news. And he goes through all the type of people that many of us wouldn't want around the table. Yeah. The poor, the incarcerated, those, those with um, um, disability, I, all those. But he says, that's who I've come for. Mm-hmm. So, so, so as a Christian um, and as an Anabaptist, I, I, you know, Jesus' words isn't higher than the rest of the canon, but Jesus' words are very important. So if that, if they're important to Christ and we, many scholars say that's his coming out statement, yeah. Luke 4, 18 and 19, I take it very seriously. It's a diverse group of people. And then you look at Acts 2, you know, we celebrate Pentecost and there in Acts 2, I, I can't remember ex- the exact verses, but he talks about Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. Yeah. No. Everybody. No yeah. No. Everybody. Everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's this there's this open call 
Jew and Gentile, which would have been even a bigger chasm than what we struggle with here in our, you know, in our great experiment that we call the U.S., everybody who calls on the Lord will be saved. And so for me, I'm trying to see and, and engage with people, everybody. Mm-hmm. Be- not because I like it, not because it's a political thing to do, not because somebody else has told me to do, but when I look at the biblical narrative, there seems a, a, to be a clarion call. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you know, the, the one that's often most used is Revelation 7, 9, which I enjoy using it. But then for some folk, they say, well, then in heaven, I'm going, you know, I can deal with people, you know, and all that. Well, as I used to say at Oxford Circle, this is a dress rehearsal, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you hate me here, you what re- makes you think you're going to love yeah. me later? hundred <laughs> percent. Right. That's right. I don't get that. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so that's the one vignette. That's going to be the, my longest one. There's a civic competency vignette. I know there in the Midwest and parts of your listeners, there isn't, at least as it relates to race or, or, uh, um, um, you know, one's ethnic background, uh, you know, a great diversity. And people hear what I'll say here in a moment as a threat. It is not a threat. But as we become more diverse as a nation, it's just civic competency for us to become greater aware of the differences so that we can in- interact in a way that allows us to build relationships instead of build walls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, just from a civic mm-hmm possibility knowing one's holidays knowing one's favorite foods knowing one's allergies yeah yeah. (laughs) knowing one's you know it's just as a neighbor wherever i live i want to know how i can interact with my neighbors especially when my kids you know were growing up so there's this civic competency and again it's not a threat i think it's a great i think it's how you know the great experiment as as the population continues to become more and more diverse, for me, it just seems to make sense to grow your civic competency by opening the door and saying, hello, neighbor, how are you? What makes you tick? What this dead, this uh, dead uh, podcast, you know, your listeners come from a diverse mm-hmm. group of, uh, you know, background, social economic and all those type of things. But the commonality often I would assume is that they're fathers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a common narrative being a father as an African-American, as a white American, as an Asian American, that can, we can find common language and some synergy around Mm -hmm. and probably play some pickleball because I'm a pickleball fanatic. (laughs) You got to invite me back and talk about pickleball. Oh boy. He's caught the bug. He's caught the bug. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a big, and then the third vignette, because I, I get easily distracted, and this is more from a business model, um, is the economic viability of your organization. My daughter works in uh, trend research. Uh, it's an international company, but she does trend research in the fashion side of things. And, and the fact is, companies that want to thrive in the future are companies that recognize that if everyone around the table who makes decisions come from the same community, drink the same water, went to the same schools, and the list goes on and on, the chances of them being able to get a market share greater than that particular community is very small. So they have to go outside in order to bring in someone with a fresh look, with a fresh face, with a fresh idea that's somewhat different. 
it's not a it's not a it's not a um, what do you call it? It's not a taking away. It's expanding because in a scarcity mindset that says that's taking somebody's job <laughs> and a growth mindset is saying the world is bigger than what we have made it up until this point. Mm-hmm. Let's find out mm-hmm. how we can be of a value and a resource in that particular community. And so this idea of economic viability, you know, think about it. When I was growing up and um, the the Hispanic community in the choices as it relates to restaurants was zero. Mm. None. But now, as that population has wonderfully, they've always been in our communities, but as they've as they have grown and probably some have now been around some of those decision tables uh, conversations, you know, we have, we have the, the menus are vast mm-hmm. no. and the food is great. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'll tell you. <laughs> well, and, you know, us, for us here in, here in Goshen, I mean, we we're, uh, you know, our kids are, all my kids are in public schools. You know, my children are the, my, are the minority here with 50, yes. 57% Latino population. Um, within our school system. And I just, I just have to say there is, um, there's just, I've experienced it as a real richness and a, a real richness to our community. It's an, it's an addition to our community that, you know, is, uh, is, is well, it, if I'm honest with you, like the, uh, particularly like the family structures and the family commitments within those yep. communities are, I mean, we have something deep to learn from mm-hmm. them. I mean, like really, really deep to learn from. And then on top of wow. that, on top of that, uh, Andy and I can go get some of the best Mexican uh, at uh, any point. Yeah. Uh, we we have the question is is like which one are we going to go to today? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and that's so, yeah. and that's the piece, and that's a non-threatening conversation to have sometimes is around food. Yep. We do not hesitate to live in communities of diversity around food choices, because we recognize no matter how good our food is, there's a desire to be curious, Mm -hmm. to taste, Mm -hmm. to, to, to taste and see what God, how, how, you know, think think about rice. Oh my goodness. Rice. (laughs) And so many, you know what? In the African American community, uh, community I grew up in rice. You just put a lot of gravy on and it was very bland. <laughs> and then I married, I married a beautiful Puerto Rican woman. Oh my goodness. I'm like, what is this? Is this, what kind of rice? Yeah. Is this manna? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, we've been married 33 years and, and just last night she made uh, some rice and bean, um, uh, rice and chicken with some beans in it. And I just gave her a hug and, and I was like, oh, this is okay. She goes, Leonard. You've been eating this for 30 some years. I'm like, honey, you don't understand. (laughs) I didn't grow up with this. Yes. But, but we embrace the food, but we don't want to deal with the people who cook it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) We don't want them living in our community. Yeah. That's a zero sum mindset. And I I believe God, I, you know, I believe education can work up until a certain point, but it also takes some heart Mm -hmm. changing. It also takes some, you two can have conversations with your community that looks like you that I can't. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And that's where it starts. And the last thing, I, not the last thing, but I just want to echo part of the journey towards um, the challenges in the urban settings, part of the journey towards embracing or at least trying to understand DEI from a non-threatening, quote, political agenda 
is curiosity. You're curious. Don't put up a wall. Just be curious mm. and ask questions and, and, and trust the person, if you can, the person that you're talking with and saying, hey, I'm just curious. Why is DNI? What is that about? I don't understand it. Be curious. Mm-hmm. Because that curiosity, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the, the biblical narrative with Jesus, he seemed to embrace curious people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he also, he also liked food. All right. Jesus <laughs> yeah. liked food too. Yeah. But he seemed to embrace the curiosity. And people like Zacchaeus, who were curious, turned out to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And transform people, transform uh, households, transform households, transform community. Yeah. And Leonard, I love that so much. I think. Uh, you know, what I have felt recently, and I, and I have felt this from a standpoint of, you know, running a secular non-for-profit organization where it just, it feels like it, 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 the, the DEI language can feel heavy, can feel heavy at yes. times. Like, like I need to, like, I need to figure out how to like fully incorporate all of the, all no. the you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, no. you know, now you've put me, now you've put me into a corner where it's yep. like, I, I, because to your exact point. Then it feels like I can't have curious conversations. I have to feel how I feel. I have to like fulfill some quota or something as, right. a, as opposed to beginning on this journey of, of understanding people, having conversations with them, sitting across the table from them. Um, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's a, well, first of all, it's a much more Jesus shaped, uh, ap- approach. And, Correct. and Correct. I think, and this is, this is the thing I feel like when it comes to people of faith, we have a unique mm-hmm. opportunity to enter into DEI, DEI kind of conversations that that the secular world mm-hmm. is is missing. And the problem is, is that I, I as I see it, that yep. that because the because the secular side has been louder and has has come to the table with more force and quite honestly has tried to, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. um, legislate like legislative yep. versus relationally yep. engaging in it. Um, which yep. I hear is what you're promote. I hear you in a relational promotion of these, of these things, which I'm, I'm man, I'm with. Um, I think that's where we've, we've, we've gotten confused. And so, so for the church, uh, for followers of Jesus, um, I just, and I want to say, I think you've really plotted a, a course for us to, to kind of talk about it. Um, not as the world does, right. But as no. through, through kingdom, uh, a kingdom right. lens, if that makes sense. I think the world is starving for ways to engage the other and being able to engage with authenticity, with, with curiosity and with the ability. I think if you're authentic and you're curious where one has to part ways, wherever that parting may or may not occur, it is similar to there in Acts. And I'm going to mess up for those who are scholars. So I apologize. But I think it was it was Paul and Timothy, not Timothy, Paul and ah can't think of the other the other younger younger uh, apprentice that was with him and they had to depart they had such a, mm-hmm. they had a such a sharp mm-hmm. disagreement right but then later in one of the letters um timothy writes because timothy is the great peacekeeper i think it's timothy is the great peacekeeper they he writes about both of the, he writes about that young apprentice about him still flourishing mm. so in other words it was this there was a sense of because the relationship was based on curiosity and authentic authenticity with the foundation of Christ, there was a sharp departure 
but that departure still produced fruit for both of those gentlemen in their ministry. And so there are times where you just have to say, may God bless you and keep you along the way so that um, the relationship is uh, maintained. You, yeah. There is, there yeah. is. Um, yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one for this um, hunky dory, uh, you know, kumbaya. Mm -hmm. I recognize mm -hmm. if I had time to tell you about my Nana, who I grew up with and the story she told me uh, ashamedly about Puerto Ricans and how terrible they were and how all these things, because many of them were taking quote her job um, because uh, first with the great migration, African-Americans came in and took the jobs from poor whites and then, when when uh, the great migration for the um, Hispanics from Puerto Rico came up, they took the jobs from many of the African-Americans, you know. So so I grew up with this animosity towards uh, particular, uh, you know, Puerto Ricans. And, you know, in God's great sense of humor, who do I fall in love with, you know, you know, in college, yeah. you know. And I remember going to my Nana and saying, you know, Nana, you know, because um, uh, my wife Rosalie was coming over for dinner. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to scene, you know, because mm -hmm. you never had to guess what was on my Nana's mind. <laughs> She'll tell you. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, in, in the one part of the story, I should tell you, she was suffering from Alzheimer's a little bit. So she would forget things. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Nana, mm -hmm. you know, I met this young lady at college. She goes, oh, baby, that's awesome. What's she didn't say? Awesome. That's beautiful. What's her name? I said, Rosalie. She's like, oh, just like my cousin, Rosalie. I was like, eh, not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, Nana, I, you know, I love, I love you. And I think this young lady might be the one, but I need you to know she's Puerto Rican. Silence. Mm. And then my Nana goes, I love Puerto Ricans. <laughs> 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 so I take that either. I took it like either her Alzheimer's kicked in and she forgot or she loved her grandson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she recognized, you know what? I got to I got to swallow my pride here mm -hmm. and maybe I was wrong. Yeah. In any case, I said, thank you, Nana, and ran out of the room. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's all the blessing so, you needed. <laughs> you know, you know, so 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 we all have our baggage. We all have we all have these dysfunctions and we all have the systems telling us that we're to hate the other or the others come to, quote, take whatever. And I'm here to tell you that in God's economy, there's enough. Mm hmm. That our God is a God of abundance. And, and in my experience, when I have been most generous, when I've been generous as a steward of what God has given me, God has walked alongside me in ways and blessed me in those relationships and even in my own personal walk. And lastly, I'll just close with, I don't want to say at any stretch of imagination, because part of our challenge, you know, I'm not afraid of the systems conversation. Part of the challenge, uh, from my perspective, are systems that the zero sum game that's placed us in there. But I do also believe that relationships are, are the utmost importance. And I think because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us who, who call ourselves Christian, the church should be leading. And we have dropped mm -hmm. the ball in that. Yeah. Amen. We have amen dropped, and the, amen. We have yeah. dropped the ball. So, yeah. so some of you who would watch this podcast may have saw my son peek in because he wants to get back in, <laughs> back into his uh, yeah. dorm room here. So I better so, get off this call. Yeah. So, <laughs> quickly, let's do the, the, the dudes and dads pop quiz. Now it's time for dudes and dads pop quiz. All right, thank you, Aaron James. Here we go. All right, Leonard, this is where we just ask you random questions. Real, real quick, rapid fire. You can't prepare for. It's always a good time. Here we go. Uh, let's see. 
Leonard, if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Uh, Durban, South Africa. Oh, nice. I think I, that's the first I, I, South African yeah. reference. That's fantastic. I, I have visited there, the water, the Indian Ocean. Uh, mm. Mm. It's, it's beautiful. The people, the music. Uh, Come on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Which words or phrases do you overuse the most? <laughs> um, don't do that to my children. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Leonard, Leonard, beach, safari, or forest vacation? Forest. I'm a camper. Oh, oh yeah. Boy. I go to Maine. Leonard, I love it. We used to go up to Maine with the kids, and, and now we go to Vermont, and we do two weeks uh, tent camping. So Nice. Okay. Um, you're my guy. When we, when we do our out east uh, tent uh, camping uh, outing someday, you're going to be my contact. You're going to tell us. There the we go. All right. There we go. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. My last one. If there was a sandwich named after you, what would be on it? What would be on it? Um... Let me think. Wow. I would. It would. You know what? It's already a sandwich. It's not named after me, but if I could, if I could take the name cheesesteak and make it a Leonard, it would be that. <laughs> oh, come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a true, like a true Philadelphia resident. With whiz or without? Oh. No whiz. No, no true Philadelphia use whiz. Come on, Andy. <laughs> oh, gosh. You got to use words. American cheese, bro. You got to use American <laughs> cheese. I, I got to ask. I, I All right. Ask. My final question. We're going to stay in the food category. Uh, Leonard, what is the weirdest food that you've ever eaten? You know what? I had friends who invited me over. Hopefully they don't listen to the dead podcast. <laughs> and I forget. I think it was. I forget what country in Africa, but it was a country that used peanut butter a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, for their food. So I was excited. Uh, but they mistakenly used Jif peanut butter oh. instead of 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 a, a stew that you can make out of peanut butter. Hmm. And so they they used Jif peanut butter on spaghetti sauce or on, on spaghetti noodles. Oh, Ooh. OK. And it was bad. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing that I ever had. Oh, wow. It was one of those times that as soon as you say, all right, good night. I was like, honey, we got to go get a pizza. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Leonard, congratulations. You have successfully passed the dudes and dads pop quiz. Uh, friends, thanks for tuning in yet again to another episode. We're glad that you did. As always, you can head over to dudes and dads podcast.com for all the show notes and good details. We'll make uh, Leonard's contact information. We'll make him embarrassingly easy to find. They're coming after you, Leonard. Uh, also, you can uh, send us an email at dudesanddadspodcast at gmail.com if you got any great show ideas, comments, or harsh rebukes. We'll yeah, take yeah. all of them. Yeah. Oh, and, you're gonna uh, get some rebukes. You're gonna get some rebukes. <laughs> yeah, some no rebukes are coming. Okay. Thanks hey everybody, it. until next time, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you, and we wish you grace and peace.